Hi everyone, this is Olga Mack. I decided to do this episode because of various news I see and disruptions that we see uh, because of various cyber attacks. So I thought it would be very helpful to talk about the effect and the motivation be behind attacking legal departments and uh, corporate legal departments and law firm departments. Uh, so I thought it would be great to have a conversation so we're all on the same page and well-educated and well-equipped uh, to deal with not so much if, but when. Um, I have with me Mark. Mark, why don't you introduce yourself? Great, thanks, Olga. My name is Mark Sankster. I'm an author and cybersecurity expert. Uh, I wrote the book No Safe Harbor, where I wanted to talk about the cyber attacks that never made the headlines, and not to blame those companies, but more to kind of turn this around and allow us to reverse engineer solutions to help our protect our businesses. And that's what I spend my days doing, working with executives, boards, legal um, representatives as well, when it comes to knowing how to protect themselves, protect their business, protect their clients. So let's talk about the disruption of, of cyber attacks and uh, sort of what happens. What is the effect on the legal department, uh, on the company and law firms when that happens? Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of factors and a lot of effects that occur. And I think the problem is we all think about the kind of the technical ones, right? Like servers are shut down or we're denied access to files or whatever it might be, right? Some service stops working and we don't think of all the business impact and we don't think about the knock-on consequences. And, and that's where legal really actually becomes, you know, effectively the quarterback, right? They have to be the ones that should have helped build the program in the first place, helping companies understand what their risks look like, understanding the likely scenarios they'd face, how they'd respond to those scenarios. And as they go through those, there are lots of different landmines you might step on, right? So think of a simple example, like, do we tell clients that have been directly affected? But do we not tell clients who weren't directly affected? What happens if we engage law enforcement? What happens if we have to notify a regulator or a state body or state authority? Um, there's lots of different factors. And, you know, as we talked about communications and so on, as those things happen, right, we're putting out press releases and, and notification to affected clients. There are lots of different elements that we have to consider in this. And that's why they play the most, I think, frankly, the most pivotal role when it comes to, as I said, preparing for and dealing with cyber events that might happen. So let's talk about the business impact because when that happens, you know, there's everybody sort of needs help um, and you need to sort of calculate the impact. And then, as you said, be a, a good quarterback. So before you would get to a quarterbacking part, how do you get to the business impact? How do you actually systematically assess that? Right. So there's, there's lots of different ways to do this. But the first thing to do is run what we call or I would call a risk assessment. And that's where you have experts look at the nature of your business, the industry that you participate in, the type of data and assets and information that you have on hand. And of course, all the obligations that get wrapped around that. They'll then take that and look at what, you know, the most recent attacks look like or the preferred methodologies that criminals will use to steal that kind of information. And then, of course, look at the historicals, right? So they'll say, so what happened to companies? So if we think about the business impact directly, you have, you know, the big ones now are operational disruption. And that typically comes in the form of ransomware and ransomware, you know, is where they lock all the files and the systems in your in your business. And then they demand a payment to give you the keys to, un, uh, to decrypt that 
information so you can get back to operations. And that may cause, of course, um, financial losses, right? Because you're no longer operating in business. And of course, there's reputational damage as well there because, you know, if this is happening, this may affect mergers and acquisitions that are going on. You may lose clients. You may find it difficult to participate in specific industries, those most heavily regulated like healthcare and finances examples. Uh, and then lastly, of course, depending on the scope and the breadth and the impact of everything that's happened, you may also face uh, regulatory um, settlements. And those, of course, come with first the financial consequences, you know, the penalty you pay. Uh, but then secondly, they have what they call corrective action plans. And that's, you know, they'll now say, OK, now that this has happened to you. We need you to put X, Y and Z in place. And of course, it's the operational costs of that. Thank you for defining the ransomware. Um, I appreciate it. I want to make sure that everyone is on the same page and using the same definition. And it really helps to uh, definitions really help. Um, you mentioned being a really good legal quarterback. Uh, and it starts with assessing business issues. Where do you go from this kind of risk assessment? What else? What other characteristics or actions make a good legal quarterback? Yeah, great question. So uh, again, legal counsel is really the, the 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 pivotal player here. So, you know, you've had that risk assessment. The other piece of this is is working to coordinate between the technical side, uh, so you know, your IT department and the business side because the business leaders understand the business, but they, they don't generally quantify what that looks like in a technical term. And of course, conversely, you get the technical people saying, you know, they're speaking in jargon, they're talking ones and zeros, and the business side's like, yeah, yeah okay, I don't understand firewalls, I don't understand ransomware, what does this all mean to me? You know, and if you tell them they have scripts on your exchange server, as uh, we saw in a recent attack, um, they have no idea what that means. They don't understand the risk that they may face through that. So legal counsel can help do that and then help them navigate, again, looking at precedent, looking at court cases, insurance claims that have been made and either denied or, or, or paid out as to what, you know, what the best practices are and the way forward for the company. So we can, you know, we can indemnify some risks through insurance. And in other cases, we need to invest in technology and, and people. Before we talk about insurance, what I want to talk about is um, regulators and actually more importantly, law enforcement. You know, on the one hand, these guys are there to help you. On the other hand, uh, given our training, we all have, let's just say, <laughs> trepidations. Yes. Um, you know, we all remember those, you know, search and seizure cases, and they are not exactly fuzzy and warm. So um, what are your thoughts about when do you, you know, you know, look, I mean, the, in the end, it is not anyone's company problem. It's, it's, a, it's a perfect problem of the commons. We all face the same problem. And theoretically speaking, if we collaborate with enforcement, we all will be better off. However, Correct. when we make those decisions, we make decisions for ourselves and they're not always best for the collective good. So how do you make, how do you think through that decision? How do you make a right choice? So that's, that's actually one of the biggest questions that we face in cybersecurity today, because there is that trepidation that you describe. So first, law enforcement is, is generally there to determine attribution, right? What criminal group is working, you know, go, go, look, go, um, you know, go investigate and arrest the bad guys and collect enough evidence that we can convict them. Um, that said, a lot of companies are worried that they might report to uh, regulators as an example, or they'll make it public. And, you know, I think there is that risk. And for the most part, that's not their job. And they also, as a former prosecutor, I can tell you they can testify in a stand. But yes, go on. <laughs> no, no, you're totally right. You are totally right. So the advantages of bringing in law enforcement, of, as an example, are things like they can often validate the threat. So they can look at, you know, if these, if the criminal groups say, well, we've locked your systems and, you know, they'll look at the reputation of that criminal organization if they can, uh, if they can attribute that. 
they'll look at the code and they might say, ah, you know what, we already have the decryption keys for this and they never reset them, which means we can use the old keys we've, we've bought off them, you know, the first time and we can use them to unlock your files. In other cases, they might just look and say, yeah, you know what, you're dealing with a heavy hitter here. Um, you know, your choices are to rebuild or, you know, make an insurance claim or, 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 or whatever. But, you know, I think the important thing, and again, with your experience in particular, this is where the businesses have to know, like, frankly, this is not a ready shoot aim. This is a ready aim shoot kind of thing. If you're not prepared, for example, when you're dealing with an insider to prosecute them, then don't bother calling the police. If you are not, you know, prepared to, uh, to collect all that sort of digital forensics, right? All the information, the evidence, like uh, log log files and email chains and all sorts of stuff because you don't want to expose that, then that's a risk because of course, that is exactly what law enforcement is looking for because that's the kind of information they need to then go on and, you know, as I said, to investigate and, you know, build the case to prosecute those criminal groups. And so, you know, you have to understand what, what information does get handed to that third party. Let's talk about insurance. Um, because I've had number of times when I looked at my insurance and um, the degree to which I am one lost and I'm not easily lost and degree to which I am my common sense fails me is very high. So um, I, I do find that when it comes to insurance, I need a professional help. Um, but what are your best practices in this context for insurance? Yeah, so insurance, cyber insurance in general um, is something completely separate from E&O insurance or business disruption insurance. And most of the times, those other forms will not cover you in, in the case of a cyber attack. The problem we see with cyber insurance is, is you don't have the same actuarial tables that you do for you know auto or death or, or home or business or whatever, right? Um, and so there's a lot more guesswork goes into it. Um, and over time, we're seeing changes. So for example, uh, in France, uh, two weeks ago, right, the government said, look, we don't negotiate with terrorists. If these, you know, criminal groups demand money, some kind of extortion payment, you know, we're not going to pay it. And AXA, the insurer, of course, came out and said, yep, we're no longer covering that in our policies. And about two days later, they themselves were hacked through one of their vendors in um, South Asia. So that's that's a pretty common you know, modus the way it works nowadays with, with criminal groups. Uh, they can seek and successfully uh, dole out petty revenge. Um, and, and so you really do have to understand within insurance what is covered, build what I kind of tower of coverage. So don't just go and get a blanket. We've got $2 million or $5 million, but say we have X that covers ransomware. We have Y that would cover uh, business email compromise. So that's fake invoicing, right? That's you get an invoice and you pay it out. And then you realize after the fact that that wasn't a legitimate vendor that you were paying. Make sure you're covered for the different scenarios and understand what your obligations are. Because within that fine print, there may be minimum security standards that are required. Or when they've done some kind of risk assessment, you'll say, oh, we provide, you know, annual awareness training to all, our, uh, all of our employees. Well, that's something they might come back and say, we'd like to see the records of that just to confirm that you actually do practice that in reality. And of course, if you can't turn that stuff over, they may deny the claim. Seek professional help. That, that's, that's all I'm going to say when it comes to insurance before and after. Uh, you will need it. Uh, your common sense will deceive you in every way, so go for it. Let's talk about why. I want to take a step back. Um, we talked a lot of sort of nitty-gritty details, the insurance, the regulators, the enforcers, and all of that. Very mm -hmm. exciting stuff. Let's talk about why. Why do we see continuously that legal departments and law firms are a target? Yeah, so legal departments and law firms in particular, I think, have an unparalleled access to privileged information. 
right? So if you're a law firm or you're you're in the legal department of a, of a company, you have access to intellectual property, patent filings as an example, mergers and acquisition data, um, information on insurance, a whole bunch of other stuff that they're willing to steal. And of course, if you're in a law firm, there's you know media and entertainment and estates and all that other kind of stuff that's, that's gold. So when you think about it, right, it's that hub where everything transits through it, right? All the contracts transit through the firm. Many of the financial dealings and larger deals go through there. And so there's information they can steal either to attempt to immediately defraud you of funds. Like I said, send you a, you know, send, send fake invoices, right? And, you know, somebody by mistake starts paying them out. Um, or the other thing they might do is steal that information to effectively front run trades, right? So insider trading, we hear about this with the SEC. This is the notion of, I know that company A is acquiring company B and now I've gotten in there and I know what the contract's values look like and I understand why they're buying them and what kind of financial valuation they put on them. Well, I can go buy that stock on Friday. If conversely, I know the stock or at the same time, if I knew that, say, the deal was falling apart, I could also buy the stock, but I could short the stock. So either way, on Friday, I know what's going to happen. On Monday, when the market's open, the stock's going to go up and I'm going to profit. Stock's going to go down and I'm going to profit. And so there's that. It's that They don't get that kind of access to that kind of broad information any other place. We talked about ransomware. We just talked about the invoicing. Yep. We talked about the, um, the, the trades that really should not happen. Um, what, what, what are other ways, what are other hows that legal departments and law firms can be affected? There's a few things here. And one of the big takeaways, you know, I, I'm hoping your audience um, walks away with is that you're not dealing with unsophisticated actors and you're not dealing with what I would call self-evidently fake messaging or phishing lures, right? We've all heard that term phishing, right? A fake email, it gets you to click on something or visit a website or open a, an infected document. Uh, the reality is it doesn't look like a streaming service or an online retailer. They have likely stolen information from your industry, from your business already, and it may not be your company, but it might be a partner company or somebody else playing in the same sector that they can then use to convince you that they are a legitimate um, uh, authority in that business, right? So they, they start to look like an insider. So here's a simple example, and this one should frighten most uh, most attorneys. Uh, this, this criminal pretended to be a law student at a very prestigious school on the Eastern Seaboard, um, and they were looking for a mentor because they were about to graduate, and, you know, and they wanted to figure out what it was like to actually practice in this specific field. And of course, after a while, they were able to lure in some uh, state level uh, Supreme Court judges and managing partners. And of course, once they had done this for a few weeks of back and forth, they you know flipped them that last email that says, you know, thank you so much for doing this. By the way, my professor requires that you fill out this survey so that I can get my academic credit. And of course, it was a link to Google Drive and that document was infected and it deployed ransomware. So they understand how the business works. They understand what your ecosystem looks like and they do a really really good job of pretending to be an insider that you are automatically going to trust. That example is not a good example. Um, I, I really like to see the, um, the folks in the industry to be mentors and, uh, and I'm grateful for LinkedIn for provide the opportunity to law students. Uh, <laughs> but Mark, thank you for that. I guess, thank you. Thank you uh, uh, for that example. Do not stop mentoring, but be careful doing that. How about that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there are some tricks there, right? Like, uh, look, I can't, you know, I can't click on this link. Would you mind sending me the document? And then you can get somebody to look at it in your IT department if you're if you're suspicious. But the problem is we're all busy, right? And and they're smart and they know how to, you know, they know how to play on that, right? Uh, and that's the trick. But you also should be aware that they may have also 
come across in their sort of criminal activities or on the, you know, the sort of the dark web where they, they buy and trade all this stolen information, they may have come across stuff on your business. So at the time, somebody was able to steal, let's say, a bunch of credentials from your company. Well, they didn't know what to do with it. So they, you know, they try to resell it or it sits on a shelf somewhere. Well, then, I don't know, let's say something comes along like a trade war, right? Or there's a shift in, you know, political balances or suddenly lumber becomes a premium. And now they understand, ooh, lumber companies are a target that I should go after because they've got a lot of money at the moment. Um, and so suddenly that sort of that, that information put away for a rainy day becomes valuable that gets sold to somebody else who then comes after you. So you have to understand that before they've attacked you, in many cases, they've already studied you for a while, right? There's a lot has gone on. You know, if you think about the iceberg, right? There's a lot below the water surface that has actually happened before they even get to the point of sending you that phishing email. What can lawyers do? I'm a little hesitant to say to prevent it because I, I think it's kind of a, a, a very high bar, but right. maybe to be prepared um, or to be, let's just go back to your better quarterback. How about that? How about how do you become a better quarterback? I use the expression, right? You prevent what you can and you prefer for what you can't. Um, and so, you know, here, you know, just the simple conversation we've had is a start to this, right? So what we call it awareness training. So uh, in fact, actually many state board, not many, a few of the state boards, including New York and I believe California are now actually uh, in the process of mandating um, cybersecurity awareness training as part of your CLE requirements as a lawyer. Right. Um, and that's because of all the attacks that are going on. So that's the first thing, right, is seek the expert help, get, you know, understand what these threats look like, um, understand how they target you so you can do a better job of identifying them. Look at, you know, look at the policies and procedures you have in the company and think about, you know, would they um, would they meet that test? Right. If somebody sent me that, you know, that that law student email. Would that get through? So how, you know, could we augment or tweak our policies? Or do we need to invest in, let's say, technology that would have picked up the fact that that attachment was infected? You know, there's there's lots of different tools that will do those things. But the big part for me is, like I said, work with the board, work with the senior executive and get those business people on board. Because when they understand that cybersecurity is not an IT problem to solve, but a business risk to manage, it changes their perspective. They're more invested. Um, and that's where that's where quarterbacking is also critical. So in, in the awareness training and also doing what I call um, incident response simulations, or some people call it war gaming, but it's that notion of, you know, over lunch, you sit there, you, you go through a mock attack and you walk through all the steps of what, what would happen because then they're going to realize that 75% of those steps have nothing to do with IT. They're business decisions like notifying clients, calling the police, calling the insurer, that sort of thing. Yeah, tabletop exercises are effective. Uh, gone through a few of those. You learn a lot about yourself, the people you yeah. work with, and Absolutely. then you definitely become more ready. Um, yeah, I highly recommend those. Um, I want to talk a little bit about sort of the business of cybercrime because uh, we're not talking about, you know, a 12 year old, you know, Joe or Joe equivalent in another jurisdiction. Uh, we're talking about a business with specialization, um, with a plan, with sophisticated revenue sharing models. Talk to talk about that, just so that we have a bigger, better and bigger appreciation of what's going on. Yeah, so you're hitting on something critical here. And, and, you know, we're starting to see these names in the paper all the time, right? Like Darkseid and Hafnium and Soden or, or Our Evil um, and, and Maze and so on, right? There's a whole bunch of these. And these are effective 
effectively criminal organizations that operate like a Fortune 500 company, right? They train employees, they hire employees, they pay them bonuses. These groups develop various forms of, of technology, you know, malware, we call it malicious, you know, software that they can use to infiltrate your organization to do things like steal financial funds, to steal credentials like your username and password so they can then get into your business um, or ransomware, which we've talked about, where they can shut down your systems and demand a massive payment you know, to restore your, your operations. So they'll build that technology. And in some cases, they literally sell it out through a revenue sharing model. So you know what? You're a smaller gang. You can't develop that on your own. You buy my off-the-shelf cloud-based type of service, just like we do. <laughs> it's SaaS. Hey, they're right? helpful, helpful, giving employees PTOs and, and using modern Absolutely. technology. <laughs> Absolutely, right? So it's, you know, it's a SaaS-based service that reduces their time to market. It increases the likelihood of, of bringing in revenue, right? Because it's it, that technology is likely going to be more successful. Uh, and of course, you reduce your costs, you increase your revenue, that's profit, right? Uh, and so that's what they're doing. And they're also sharing expertise. It's not just technology. So someone uh, might be really good at tricking people out of their credentials. And there's lots of videos on YouTube if you want to go watch those on how they do that, how they take over people's phones through a, a service provider. And then there's other people who are really good at, okay, you got me in. Well, I know how to move around this environment and not be detected. And I can set up you know, fake users in the environment so I can move around and no one actually knows that I'm there. Then there's other people who are really good at, well, you've stolen this information. You don't know how to sell, let's say, 50,000 healthcare records. Well, I do. So so again, I'll sell those for you, take a cut. So think about all those movies we watch with all those criminal organizations. You know, you got the, the, they walk into the jewelry store and that person out of the back of their business, you know, is fencing other material or stolen art or whatever it might be. It's the exact same thing in the cyber world. So, you know, right from the beginning of, of targeting you right through to the point of monetization where they're able to sell whatever they stole from you for profit, there are all sorts of experts. So you've got the people and the technology and they play in harmony to create this, you know, dangerous ecosystem. Absolutely. And I think that's a good lesson for, 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 for anyone, any business professional and lawyers is that you should create an ecosystem back, right? Don't sell everything yes. yourself. Get help, get help with insurance, get help with cyber, get help with technical, get, get help. Because you're dealing with somebody, somebody who have lots of expertise. And if you are the only lonely um, adventurer, you are not, you are outnumbered, you are outsmarted before you even start. Um, and I think, you know, that, that thinking that it takes everyone's expertise and folks outside of your organization to actually respond in a good way and have a plan, um, I think something that, you know, worth borrowing uh, from these guys. Um, I want to talk before we would come into the end. Um, one of my favorite subjects is sort of state sponsored uh, activities. Yes. I know you just compared uh, these folks to Fortune 500 companies. Uh, in terms of the sort of money operation and how well organized they are. But we also know that some of these folks are state-sponsored actors. Um, it does that have implication on how we deal with them? Yes, 100%. So state-sponsored actors are perhaps not the actual formal government or military of that country, but they're, you know, outsourced criminal act help, right? So they may be funded by that government or effectively allowed to operate by that government. Now, what they're doing is they're doing something for ideology, right? So it may be that, you know, 
the red side does not like the blue side. And so the red side is willing to steal from companies on the blue side because, you know, they know that's damaging to their economy. They're also destabilizing trust. And that's a massive thing. So you have to understand the kind of the end game that they're going after. So they are highly sophisticated. They have access to the most complex tools. They have access to resources. So people and money and time and so on to go after you. And most people, I think most companies fall under, again, this misconception inception, like, well, these nation states or these state-sponsored actors, they're only going after the government. They're only going after these major vendors that supply the government and so on. And that's not true. I have seen direct evidence now multiple times where the sort of tectonic geopolitical events that occur on the global stage, like missile strikes or, you know, show of force in the Pacific or whatever it might be, has these aftershocks and the aftershocks maybe can't target the government. So they go after small business. And when you think about it, it's effectively guerrilla warfare, right? A cold guerrilla warfare, because they know they can't go head to head with, you know, aircraft carriers and rockets and missiles and drones and all that kind of stuff. But what they can do is they can make these little strikes here and there that really annoy, that do cause significant damage. So Colonial Pipeline is a, is a classic example. Shutting that down for a week, look at the chaos that created, right? You know, lineups at the pump and no fuel on the eastern seaboard for a week. And, you know, people are running out and buying toilet paper and hand sanitizer and lumber and all these other things because they think it will have a knock-on economical effect. Look at the profit that generates. That company paid $4.4 million in ransoms. So that state-sponsored group made a profit. And at the same time, ideologically, they expressed an impression upon upon our, our economy and our social you know um, fabric, effectively, that's you know scared and waiting for the next uh, attack on a, on a utility like that. Yeah, yeah, those examples are scary. The um, the colonial pipeline example, uh, not just what happens to the company, but you know societal implication yeah. and and what it does to destabilize the system and how people react to it, um, and 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 how it takes our attention uh, and focus from things that matter. Um, that 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 is very concerning. Uh, that that gets me to my last question uh, about recent cases. Uh, uh, you know, JBS, Colonial Pipeline, mm -hmm. uh, Solar Winds. Um, I, I can go on for a long time, depending on when the timeline <laughs> you want me to end. Uh, there's yeah. no shortage. What are the lessons, the most recent lessons um, from uh, the attacks we have seen recently? Yeah, and all of those, well, in most of those cases, the ones you're talking about, like Hafnium against Microsoft Exchange and SolarWinds, uh, which is a IT management tool and so on, um, is that many times these criminals uh, infiltrate your business, not directly through you, but through your supply chain or your vendors. And that's become a very uh, premium sort of form of attack um, because often they can, they can either uh, infect that vendor at source so that, you know, when you download or update your systems or whatever, you're actually bringing that infection into your business, or it's a trusted connection between you and that vendor. So they know if they can look like the vendor and they get in through that vendor's uh, credentials, they can then, you know, they have sort of a, a carte blanche, um, unguarded entrance into your business. And that's something that, you know, like, frankly, I read so much press about SolarWinds and Hafnium Microsoft Exchange and all this stuff that went on and on and on. And everybody behaved like, it was the first time. And it's not. It is not the first time we have seen these kind of supply chain attacks. Uh, think back to NotPetya with uh, ME Docs, which is uh, an insurance, or sorry, an accounting package that had been weaponized. Um, and many times before that, and frankly, it's not going to be the last. In fact, if nothing else, what we do see is as criminals, more success leads to success. 
right? So every time they attack a hospital, every time they shut down a gas pipeline and they work out how to do it and they know that it'll pay off, they will continue to do that more and more because it's a path to revenue. You know, I, um, you know, I, I really struggle. You know, I understand they, they, that these are sophisticated businesses, but I, I, I still cannot talk about them as businesses and, and their revenue. Uh, that there's something wrong with that business model. So, um, so I understand the analogy. It does bother me. Uh, on a sort of fundamental human level. But Mark, thank you so much. I, I as always, I learned so much from you. Uh, we, we have been on numerous cyber um, uh, panels together uh, yeah. since I've been a baby lawyer. I, I learned something from you <laughs> every time. Um, and, and this was no exception. So thank you for the sort of analysis and education uh, about the landscape where this is going and how to prepare yourself. I'm gonna give you just one last uh, opportunity to maybe give a short takeaways for the audience and, and we'll say goodbyes. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. So, you know, again, I said this before and I just want to reiterate it, right? The attacks are not self-evident. They are masqueraded very well so that you will click on them. The sophisticated actors that you're going up against. So you need to invest. You need to understand what that risk looks like. Uh, and you need to determine how for your business is the best way to mitigate it. So, you know, uh, again, um, great conversation, Olga, as always. It's always a pleasure working with you. And if, if you have any more questions or you like follow up, then, you know, please reach out and I'd be more than happy to help. Have a good day. Bye, everyone.